Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew.
a bottle, baby. Come, come, come on and let me out. And that was Christina Aguilera performing her hit, Genie in a Bottle, which fits in quite nicely with the topic of tonight's show. Tonight, Tracy Savage and I will be bringing you part two of our interview with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil Imbrogno about their new book, The Vengeful Gin. If you missed part one, you can uh, go to the Jackalope Radio archives and download last week's show. And now, let's continue with our in-depth interview with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil Imbrogno on the topic of the gin. In fact, we're going to have a, a caller on pretty soon that uh, has experienced some of this, that has some questions for you. Uh, well, I, I have some questions about plasma. Uh-huh. Um, uh, now, he, he said, you know, smokeless fire, and he was equating that with the possibility of being uh, the phenomena of plasma, which is uh, the fourth state of mass. And, um, and there's... It, interestingly, I know everybody hears the word plasma. There's different, you know, uh, forms of plasma. There's artificially produced. There's terrestrial plasmas. There's space and astrophysical plasmas. Um, artificially produced, uh, like uh, plasma displays, like in your TV, fluorescent lamps, neon signs. Um, uh, of course, not many of us have exposure to rocket exhaust or ion thrusters, but there's, you know, ozone generators. You can actually make ball plasma from, you know, many of us, when we took physics, we we stuck the grape in the microwave, of course, you know, probably burned out the microwave unit <laughs> at the same time. But um, there's other things like... Uh, LPPs, ICPs, MIPs, and and other you know Tesla coils and whatnot. How how do these interact? These artificially produced and easily obtained and used commonly uh, forms of plasma interact with this other plasma that you're talking about. And the other question is, CERN is doing the experiment, which of course indicates fourth dimension. You know proved you know not just mathematically but now we're we're going to be doing this experiment with CERN and hopefully fourth dimension will be you know qualified uh soon i was wondering what implications that has on your theories with um or hypotheses with the gin being plasma how do how do you feel about that people who have these things in their home and does that uh is it more conducive to having gin there? Is it less conducive? Is it is it a repellent to them? Uh, do they grab the ions and sort of glam onto them? And and what is uh, the implication of us looking into the fourth dimension? Can you expound upon that? Well, sure. Um, first of all, there, there are many different forms of plasma. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the type that I believe gin are composed of, they have to be composed of a cool plasma whereas they're ionized atoms and um, contained by a magnetic field. Other forms of plasma they may feed on, because according to what I understand, gin have to feed off of, of certain types of energy. That's how they get their main sustenance. However, they do enjoy absorbing the molecules of uh, certain types of food, but it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't nourish them. Now, 
there are certain types of electromagnetic fields in plasmas which Jin seem to be um, completely uh, negative to. In other words, it gives them a bad taste. Um, it gives them headaches, maybe, I don't know. Um, you know, we found out that um, when people are experiencing certain phenomena with, um, that are suspected to be jinn, if you increase um, the amount of magnetic fields in your home, you seem to keep them away. It's almost as if they, they are getting a bad taste from it. Um, but um, the actual composition of a jinn is something we don't know. You know, if they can change shape, it means their bodies are changing shape, they're alternating their shape. You would have to expect something that's not physical. So a plasma can do that. A plasma can change shape if you change the shape of the magnetic field. But they're very, very susceptible to outside magnetic fields. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I heard is that um, Jin think that they want to move back into this world for their own survival because they're deathly afraid of atomic weapons and uh, electromagnetic pulses from atomic weapons and because it could have a devastating effect on their culture. So um, the idea is that, yes, um, you know, if jinn are composed of plasma, it's a form of plasma that we're not familiar with in this world, possibly. Mm -hmm. um, also, yeah, the idea of other dimensions is, uh, is becoming more than theory. For example, in particle accelerators now, and when you smash protons together, you get all of these exotic particles that exist for a millionth, a billionth of a second. Well, right. some of them we can see where they're going, and we can see their chasers, but some of them are going, leaving the nucleus, and these particles are formed, these muons and, and so on are formed, mm -hmm. and they're actually taking certain angles, and they're disappearing. Right. And it's, it's theoretically that these are going into adjacent dimensions. Now, also, what I've been working on is the idea of gravitons. Theoretically, gravity should be the strongest force in the universe. It is not. It's no, a weak right. force. Now, however, think of it this way. If there are multiple dimensions, let's say between here and the sun, maybe 11 dimensions as predicted in M-theory, right. string theory, the gravitons would be filtered through these dimensions before they reach us, causing the gravity to be weaker than it should be. Now, how can we detect these other dimensions opening up? It's possible that even if these dimensions open up the size of a nucleus of an atom, or let's say a, a millimeter across, it's going to increase that area, a rain of gravitons. Now, theoretically, okay. if you have an increase in gravitons and you have the proper detector, a number of those gravitons are going to strike and be absorbed by electrons, and these electrons are going to cascade upper to the upper conduction bands. And that can be detected. This is what a lot of people are working on now, well, including me in my research, but um, I'm telling you that the detection and the discovery of gravitons 
is going to be an exciting thing. Also, gravitons prove. They will prove that there's these other dimensions because the gravitons are filtered through these other dimensions. And, and it's just fascinating research because we're about to expand human consciousness into a whole new area of, of exploration. So would you say that you're more of a unification theorist in this respect? Yeah, I believe that um, um, string theory is actually going to be, when it's proven 100% and everything is, you know, accepted by everybody and everybody does experimentation and wasting all the time like scientists usually do, um, that I believe that string theory is going to be the theory that unifies all, unifies all the forces of the universe together oh. into one all and everything. Well, you're going to upset Feynman and Glassow, and Lisi's probably going to freak out <laughs> because he's, he's, he fights the string theory all the time, you know, with his new theory of everything. So that's very interesting. Um, when you're talking about the membranes, or the brains on the membranes, <laughs> on the membrane. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But they don't want to say membrane, it's too long. <laughs> um so uh let's see. The way I'm trying to to uh bring it down to a more simplified uh way of looking at it, these these uh entities uh could are possibly uh, pressing the, 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 the brains are closer and so therefore they're able to come through into this dimension or it's the fourth dimension where they're able to see through everything and we're only stuck here and we have a lot of solid you know uh, very compact uh, uh, dense mass that we're unable to see through because we're not in the other dimension so yes, is this the way that you're not able to we're we're actually restricted by by the curvature of space because we are also physical beings like everything in the physical universe. So mm -hmm. we're restricted to the movements of the curvature of space around us. Mm -hmm. However, if um, uh, these other dimensions exist, there's some areas where they overlap with our dimension, and the membranes, the the barrier, the buffer between them is much thinner. Also, right. it's very possible that the entire universe, all these bubble universes and all these dimensions in these bubble universes are constantly in motion in relation to each other, and that at times in the history and the movement of the expansion of the universe, that sometimes these other dimensions in some areas overlap and they merge with each other, and the result of that is that we would begin to see more and more of what we mistakenly call paranormal phenomena. And this is what seems to be happening at this moment. And, um, I mean, in the next so many years, I can't say how many years, it may be very natural for people to walk down the street and see a mothman or something. I don't know. Oh. A lot of these things are, 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 are again, appearing. Um, all of these strange phenomena, including jinn. Jinn seem right. to be able to come into our world much easier than they were able to do 100, 200 years ago. 
Well, you've made an awful lot of, in, you and, and Rosemary have made a lot of interesting correlations in your book with uh, commonly accepted phenomena within the realm of the paranormal community here and a lot of speculation uh, that, that we do in dialogue in our culture. And, uh, and all of them are considered separate, uh, you know, occurrences and phenomena of their own right, such as ETs or or ghosts or par- uh, poltergeist. Uh, what's the other thing? Uh, the the shadow people, and then of course there's the other realm, the other different realms that that are mentioned within your book. Um, what led you to 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 start correlating the ET phenomenon with uh, you know the experiencers and what they've they've gone through in their stories with the gin specifically. Well, I think Rosemary can answer that quite clearly. Well, we're, uh, first of all, uh, Tracy, we're not saying that uh, these other entities are all gin. Um, we are making the case that we think that the gin use these forms, these types of encounters, as ways to penetrate our world uh, within uh, a hidden guise. And uh, a lot of it had to do with the characteristics. Uh, we examined very closely the characteristics of entities, their behavior, uh, how they uh, interacted with people, and um, what some of the results are to come up with the gin uh, pattern. And uh, the gin don't uniformly fit over all kinds of entities. There are some that have better fits than others. And actually, the, the, the best fits of all were with shadow people, extraterrestrials, or really ultra-terrestrials. We think uh, most of what people are calling extraterrestrials are really ultra from another mm-hmm. dimension. And fairies. Now, the correlation between ETs and fairies has been written about and documented uh, for at least a couple of decades now. Jacques Vallée did it. Uh, folklorist Thomas uh, Bullard uh, also oh, right. gave it a pretty good examination. And this is one thing that I've noticed uh, from the very beginning in my work in paranormal investigation, because I, I cover everything across the board, uh, that when you take people's accounts of their encounters, and then especially you compare them to accounts from other cultures and also throughout history, we wind up with what I call core experiences. That is, there are certain characteristics of our encounters that haven't changed much throughout history and don't change much culture to culture. But the way that these uh, encounters are described or the labels put on the entities in them do change. So what that has said to me for a very long time is that human beings have been having interdimensional encounters from the get-go, from, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But because of our differences in culture, our understandings, uh, our social and spiritual contexts, um, we have uh, different explanations that make sense to us at a certain place, at a certain time in history. Um, I found in my research, and, and I've even done this with vampires and ETs, mm-hmm. um, that you can take stories And if you strip out the labels and you just substitute entity for angel or entity for ET or demon or whatever, um, some people, and well, not some people, many people, because I've tried this out on audiences, uh, are hard-pressed to identify 
what the entity is that somebody has engaged with. Right. So we're, con- we're conditioned by our culture and by the media to interpret things certain ways. Um, but there's something else behind that. And so what Phil and I did in our analysis of how the jinn are interacting with us is we wanted to go behind the labels to the patterns, the characteristics, the cross-cultural and cross-generational um, descriptions to see what fit. And we, we find what comes out of that is uh, an, an absolutely astounding pattern that fits everything about the jinn that has originated from their original lore in the Middle East. Now, Rose, Rosemary, uh, well, actually, I'd like to throw this out to uh, to both of you. Um, you, you know, Rosemary, you know me. Uh, Phil, uh, you know, I, I don't think you know, I don't know how much you know about me, but other than what I explained before, that I was in a one-on-one apprenticeship in uh, Toltec shaman and shamanism for uh, for eight years, um, during that time, it wasn't like a classroom type setting. I would go out to different locations from Canada down into Mexico, and I'd, I'd spend you know maybe as long as ten days at a time with uh, with my mentor. And um, in that lineage, just th- this is when you know about a month ago when this realization hit me. Um, and in the modern lineage, which goes back about five hundred years to the fall of Teotihuacan. Um, the shaman, you know, sorcerer, priest, whatever you want to term you want to give them, they uh, they dealt with an entity that uh, closely parallels some of the descriptions of the gen. And what I'm asking is if you've ever encountered this or know of it. But what um, what we refer to them as is uh, the only thing I've ever heard them referred to as is allies. And um, not all shaman took on an ally, but they they worked. You know, some did. Some of the more powerful ones would would uh, work with them by taking them on. And this is like a, a lifetime commitment. This isn't something that uh, you know you can just, you know change your mind on. And taking them on can actually you know kill a shaman. Um, there are three different forms that they appear in, and and this is. I'm speaking from experience too. I've, I've seen all three forms of these uh, entities uh, on various times, you know, in various places. The um, the one form is like what you're talking about, the plasmatic form. Uh, I the uh, on two different occasions I saw one of these allies uh, appear as a a about the size of a basketball, like a, a blue plasma. And another time, you know, about a year later, I saw one that was a, a greenish plasma. But that's the only time I've, I've seen them in that form. They uh, usually appear in, uh, they, they can appear in any form, actually. Um, the uh, human form is one of the ones that actually, you know, makes me the most unsettled because they look like a normal person. And in order to, to perceive these, you have to actually be in an altered state of awareness, normal consciousness, you know, be at the frequency that you know, our, our minds are working at, or, you know, the Toltec shamans say that uh, altered states of consciousness 
are controlled by the assemblage point of awareness, which is an energy point in the human aura. And by shifting that, you can change your consciousness to a different level and also to a different point where you're actually using more of your physical brain. And in that state of consciousness is when you can see these allies. And you see them out of the corner of your eye in your peripheral vision. You, if you turn to look at them, they usually disappear. And so it's, it's a thing with angles, even in a, um, uh, an altered state of awareness like that. And the, um, the, the thing, if you, if you turn and look at them just the right way, you can hold these these images you know in direct sight but it's it's considered very dangerous because once this entity this ally uh, notices that they start approaching you it's almost like uh, you've called them and if you're not ready for it uh, it the encounter can kill you because what what I was told is if this entity ever approached me that I should, you know, first of all, I was told not to do it because I wasn't ready. But if it ever approached me, the entity would come in, you know, to my energy field and then start to spin me because they, uh, once they got close to you, they started spinning almost like a little tornado. And when they, they merged with you, they would spin you. And it was like breaking a horse, you know, if you were strong enough to, to take it on, then you merged with it. And the advantage for the shaman is that the the uh, the ally would give them different knowledge, secret knowledge, and different abilities, uh, the control of different elements of nature, different things like that. Uh, the new lineage that I'm part of, there's not there's not too many left anymore, but the the new lineage didn't deal as much with the ally because it is dangerous. Uh, the ancient lineage, it goes back thousands of years, uh, those Toltec priests would actually, uh, I thought they were creating thought forms when I first heard the stories, but I come to find out they were summoning these allies. There was some ritual or technique where they would summon them. And basically what, what I'm asking is, is have you heard of this in, you know, in any other culture or, you know, I didn't even make the connection to a possible, you know, gen type creature. Until I started hearing the hearing the different uh, uh, explanations, they they also uh, appear as um, as animals, as creatures. Uh, you know, my uh, my teachers you know had one, and it was a very large cat, and it had uh, characteristics of a saber tooth. And I saw this thing one time; scared the hell out of me. Um, you know, and it but it it had. Um, you know, its back was about almost 48 inches tall, and its body without the head and tail were, it was almost 9 feet. And it was semi-translucent, though. It wasn't solid. The reason I know the size is because it walked by a piece of plywood. And um, it, it had very dark fur and kind of light stripes on it. But that was the characteristic of that particular, you know, ally. But... I, I wasn't aware if you've heard of this in any other culture or, you know, if you think this could possibly be a gen-type creature. It's, uh, it's possible. There are some parallels with uh, some of the concepts and how gen interact with people. For example, uh, in Middle Eastern lore, uh, there's a companion gen. 
uh, people are born with this companion, and uh, it's it's almost like a um, not equated with guardian angels, but uh, similar in many ways. That uh, this companion stays with you throughout your life. It could be male or female. Uh, there are traditions for even marrying your companion uh, okay. and uh, having a sort of intimate relationship with it. But they can function in a variety of ways uh, to provide uh, advice, guidance, counsel, uh, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so there's some parallels there. It's not exactly the same, but um, it certainly fits a lot of the characteristics of that type of gin. Well, one yeah. of the things also that you said, Marcus, is that... Uh-huh. One of the things we got about the jinn, we asked, um, you know, the jinn have bodies, and they come back and say spinning bodies. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm, and, that's interesting. Um, uh, I think we're bringing a caller on. Go ahead. I'm just gonna say that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Oh, uh, hi. How are you? We'll, we'll bring hey, you on Debbie. in just. Bring you on in just a second. Phil was explaining something about uh, a gen. Oh, okay, great. Okay, go so, go ahead, Phil. Well, so some of the EVP we got, we said, "Who is this?" And the voice came back and said, "Me, Janaya." And uh, Janaya is a female gen. Right. And okay. And he said, "What clan do you do we?" And they said, uh, "Good gen." And he said, do you follow Iblis, which is like the head of the jinn, sort of like the Islamic devil? In Islam, by the way, there's no fallen angels. The, the devils are jinn, the mm-hmm. bad jinn. He said, do you follow Iblis? And the voice says, no. And he said, um, do you have a physical body? I asked, and it says, it says, spinning body. So that's what, you know, caught my attention to what Marcus said, and he said, "What? Where do you belong?" He said, "Ifrit, Ifrit, Ifrit. I can't." Which yes. the Ifrits are the the more powerful jinn that are. I mean, and say, "Where do you live?" Um, you live. It's a big cough, cough, cough. And Rosemary can explain that. But That's uh, a, a, yeah. a ring of mystical mountains that, in uh, Middle Eastern folklore, said to be the domain of the jinn. Okay. And, and the thing is, is that we we got EVP that you know using these new techniques in certain locations that we found, which you know we're researching for a long time. But I mean, we got long conversations with this entity that identified itself as a Janiyah, whose name was um, Diomi or Diomi, and um, they even said she was twenty six years old. <laughs> you know, wow. and I mean, I mean, this is you know, I mean, conversations like this are taking place. But you have to remember when during EVP, Jin can actually take on different identities, also. Yeah. And yes, in the Middle East, they believe in companion jinns that Jin are there, and it's very dangerous sometimes that if you, you see a Jin, like if you can turn that angle to see a Jin that it's very, very dangerous. And the people in the Middle East believe that it's, it's terrifying. They don't want to do that, but sometimes they do see jinn, and they're absolutely terrified. They go into prayers and for Allah and so on and so on. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it, it's very similar to what you're describing. 
Yeah, that that is um, pretty intriguing on, on different levels. There, there's quite a bit more to that uh, that we, we don't really have enough time to go into it on the show uh, at this time. But we we have a caller that want, wanted to call in and, and talk to the two of you and ask you, you know, a couple of questions, maybe share an experience. Uh, we have uh, Debbie Edwards on the line. Uh, Debbie is a uh, physical medium, and she has she has her own radio show called Metavisionaries Global Live Radio. And uh, Debbie, you're, you're on with uh, Tracy uh, Savage and uh, Rosemary Ellen Guinley and Phil Imbrogno. And um, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and chime in there if you wanted to make a comment or ask a question or something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on and uh, talk with the three of you. And it's something that, uh, you know, with the gin, uh, you know, you and I, Marcus, have had conversations with uh, with each other about this before. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a little bit of an encounter uh, with them myself, you know, experiencing things I actually really did not expect. One thing I've discovered, uh, just based on personal experience, is that it seems, uh, you know, and I haven't been able to listen to uh, the rest of the information that you've had on prior uh, to bringing me on, um, so I don't know if I'm repeating something, but uh, what what I've discovered is that they seem to uh, really gravitate towards particular people sometimes uh, and or cultures, but um, particular people, and, you know, I've seen where uh, they stay with someone for a long period of time, uh, but a lot of times try to be uh, you know, I don't want to say in the background, um, but, you know, one one particular one that I've encountered, which I believe is the only one, uh, is something that has repeatedly uh, shown itself in dreams, uh, almost in a precognitive sense. But, uh, you know, it hasn't necessarily come forth to be completely uh, uh, dangerous to me, but at the same time has certainly, um, you know, exhibited a dominance and a uh, sense of manipulation and or control. So I don't know if that necessarily fits, uh, you know, prior descriptions of them, but uh, for me, uh, the way that they appear, uh, you know, a lot of times it's, it's their face can be uh, quite almost stone cold in appearance, but uh, a lot of times they won't necessarily reveal their eyes. So I don't know if that's something that you've found as well. You know, is that something that's uh, common for them, that they... Uh, you know, conceal their eyes or conceal that, that connection um, between eye to eye? Well, we think that um, shadow people, for example, are probably a form favored by the jinn, and those manifestations of dark silhouetted figures, there are no facial features, no eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one way of staying hidden. But, uh, yes, they do gravitate to certain people, and uh, I did mention a little earlier in the show that they may be people who are encounter-prone, that is, have uh, the ability or, or thin boundaries to have frequent experiences with all sorts of paranormal phenomena and entities. And when they do attach to people, uh, and this is one of the distinguishing characteristics of them as opposed to other kinds of entities, they can stay for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And they sort of um, fade in and out. Uh, sometimes they're more prominent and more active, and then they kind of uh, fade off into the background. You might even think that they've gone away, and then they come back. Uh, and there are a lot of, I, I think dreams in general are a major interface with our uh, entity contact experiences. Mm-hmm. But that, that would certainly be one way that they would engage with us. Well, let's yeah. get back well, to the eyes. I want to talk yeah. about the eyes. 
Now, you're talking about an actual physical form where they hide their eyes from you? Um, well, you know, for me, and, and I'm, I'm assuming the question is directed towards me, for me, uh, you know, it's something that has been where uh, almost in a, a clairvoyant sense, because I'm, I'm a medium as it is, so when I connect with people, uh, you know, I'll see in my mind's eye particular images, but uh, this has kind of come in three ways for me. One, I've seen in my mind's eye, but two is something that other people have actually seen around me, almost attached to me, and then three, uh, things that I've seen in my dreams, as well as things I've actually audibly heard out loud while wide awake, uh, you know, while I've been alone. And uh, Marcus, you know very well, uh, you know, one of the phone calls I've I've uh, made to you when I said, oh my gosh, you know, I've got something at the end of my bed, and I've, I had really just... Uh, you know, extraordinary encounters, almost of a dark nature. Uh, this about a year ago, a little over a year ago, we're almost like pretty much at the anniversary mark, a little over a year ago. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, it was something that was quite spooky because there were periods of time for me that I couldn't place. There were gaps of time missing, um, things that that uh, you know, my animals acted really obscure. My animals would be uh, really overprotective. I had things physically, uh, you know, be different in the home, um, you know, kind of a chaos energy around. So it was really, really unique. Uh, but, you know, the last for, the last time for me um, was last May that I encountered anything. Luckily, it hasn't been since. But, uh, you know, with the no eyes, that has been very common. And shadow people as well I've had encounters with. But, uh, you know, I've, I've separated the two because they've been very distinctly different, although they do appear uh, uh, vibrationally very similar uh, in the way that they do uh, approach and the way that they do attach. But, you know, that's that's something that, um, you know, I've I've encountered as far as not having eyes, and especially in my dreams, they, they tend to hide their eyes uh, and not make themselves visibly uh, connectable to be able to reach out or, you know, kind of see what they're all about. So they do try to remain elusive from what I've gathered. Well, Jin have problems... Uh, when they're taking on human form and take on the manifestation of human form, and no matter how, they have problems um, um, maintaining human eyes. The eyes usually resort back to gin eyes, which are yellow, and they're almost elongated, almost like reptilian. They have a problem with the eyes in, in changing the physical form. Otherwise, you would never notice one from a, a, a human being except that, you know, the eyes change. You can look in the eyes, the eyes do change back. So they hide their eyes most of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I've seen in my dreams is that the commonality, and, and as far as, like, the shadow people, uh, you know, their figure is very distinct uh, in contrast to that. But for them, you know, with the shadow people, I've seen where they've actually had uh, pretty much no face. It's, it's just a you know, dark figure, but it's very um, common that they'll appear, you know, say with a, a wide-brim hat or like large boots, you know, that kind of thing, but long trench coat. Um, but they, they seem to be watchers, uh, kind of record keepers of sorts, and, and they tag particular people. There's certain people that are tagged vibrationally that are uh, followed, that are watched and monitored, and um, I think on behalf of elemental entities, but as well as the jinn, uh, which to me, I, I feels to me uh, vibrationally that they're very, very similar, almost difficult to distinguish between the two, but the intention is different in the way that they come forth and interact with people. But uh, um, for me personally, as far as my experience with the jinn, 
Um, they're, they're very, very strong in presence when they do decide to make their presence known. It can be quite intimidating, um, but then they're also very elusive and kind of wait for that uh, open door, if you will, or that, that ability to interact when people are vulnerable or, um, you know, vibrationally when things are, are in a particular way that they can interact easily so that they're not uh, depleted or, um, you know, so that they're not kind of, uh, I don't want to say trapped in between because in a sense it feels to me that they also have vulnerabilities that if they come too close into our vibrational realm that they can then become too attached where they're not able to kind of transition back and forth and they lose uh, their their energetic structure as much and they also lose their strength. But that's just, you know, based on my own uh, observation with them. No, that's probably pretty accurate. Also, you have to remember is that uh, the jinn dimension, the jinn world, not only do the jinn live there, but like our world where there's a variety of life forms here, there's also a variety of life forms in the jinn world, and some of them are jinn pets or under the control of the jinn. Mm-hmm. They serve the jinn. And yeah. also uh, there are jinn with different agendas and maybe even different duties and they're not all going to act the same and so even though you see uh, differences between what you feel is the jinn presence versus the shadow people as well as some similarities they could still both be jinn but doing different things in different ways and it requires a different sort of appearance and behavior you said yeah. that you ha- had uh, uh, whispers or or voices for me, uh, when, is it, are you asking me? Yeah, yeah. You said in, within your experiment, your experience with this, you had um, heard voices or whispering. Uh, were you able to discern what the words were, or was it just uh, uh, indistinct? Well, there were two. There were two very separate experiences, but they came from the same source. Um, the one experience was, uh, in, and I don't want to say animalistic, but it's interesting, uh, you know, that um, you guys had mentioned, you know, different types of uh, animals or different types of entities, you know, that reside with the jinn. But one thing that I encountered, and this was uh, twice, I believe, within a week, um, was a growling. I mean, it was it was so loud. But the thing was, is you know, anyone that's sensitive to energy can recognize, uh, you know, a um, a presence of something, whether it's entity, uh, you know, energy, someone that's died, etc. But for me, uh, I found that something was standing at the end of my bed. And out of all of the activity I had been experiencing over a month and a half period of time, you know, it was it, to me, it was it was uh, coming from the same source. But it stood at the end of my bed, very aggressive. And at this time, um, you know, what I found is that it didn't matter what time of day or night it was. It didn't have to be dead time. It didn't have to be when the veil was thin. It was, you know, at any time. And for some, you know, however it was, it was able to uh, interact with me just as strong, no matter if it was in the middle of the day or not. And this, mm-hmm. if I remember, was a middle-of-the-day experience, so it was very unexpected. Uh, and then there was another where I could hear a growling when I was sitting on my couch. However, there were other instances when it, at one point I walked into my bathroom and it was almost as if, uh, I think I went in to brush my teeth or something, you know, and it, but it was almost as if something completely like uh, caught me or attached mm-hmm. to me and the next thing I know, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing uh, a lot of interaction I can hear. Um, almost as if they're interacting with each other, which was the first time I had experienced multiple 
uh, entities and not just one. And the one thing is that I kept trying to uh, confront it. What is your name? What is your name? And uh, it would not surrender its name. So, you know, I knew that there was, uh, you know, some type of vulnerability there of being able to, um, you know, put up a form of protection. But that is one thing that surprised me is that the traditional, uh, you know, activities of creating a barrier of protection, whether it's through prayer, through smudge ceremonies, through energy work, through intention, all of these, uh, you know, activities of creating that boundary and that sense of protection, for some reason at that time did not work. So, you know, it was trying to go to different measures. And, of course, Marcus, that's where, you know, I phoned you. And I'm like, okay, what do I do here? Um, You know, and eventually the interactions stopped. But it was very aggressive at that point. But, interestingly, I was not the only one that saw this. Um, My uh, little boy, who's seven now, and at the time I believe he was about five and a half, uh, in the same location about a year prior to this encounter, uh, he was walking out of the closet, uh, which was adjoined to the bathroom I was just speaking of, and he saw, you know, this entity standing there. And he had mentioned where it was going, what it was doing, and those were places we ended up actually going to later in the day. So, you know, he also experienced the encounter. And what he told me it said is he said it was, and, and I'm still trying to interpret this, but he said that it was trying to put out all the light and that um, it, it was trying to, oh, if I can remember, he said that it was using octagons to do it. Now, you know, of mm-hmm. course, we think of a mind of a five-year-old, but in, in reference, you know, when we look at sacred geometry or we look at, uh, you know, mathematical equations when, when we're looking at, uh, you know, vibrations, electromagnetics, and, and physics, and so on, um, what could that actually represent? And what does it mean it's trying to put out all the light? So uh, that was the strongest message I've gotten on what their intention is. Well, they have a, a term that's used in, in, in uh, Arabic, and it's, uh, it's common in, in Islam, and it's called wiswas. And that's uh, a term that means whispering. And it usually comes from okay. the shaitan, which are the devils, you know, what we call the devils. And, uh, and, and from what I understand, the red jinn, uh, which uh, they align themselves with the Iblis, which uh, that they, they specifically are there. I think they're the ones that are supposed to be those that manifest the whisperings to people. Okay, and they the have red, yeah, okay. the, the red one is actually okay. the one I've encountered um, in my dreams, okay. and that was the one that my son saw. He said he's standing, he's all red, Mom, he's all red. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm, very interesting, and the the Afrit, which is the uh, uh, the green gin, I believe, is the the lesser, the the less evolved. Am I am I correct with this, you guys, Phil, Rosemary? Uh, they're the the hostile ones, the red ones. Okay. Well, the terminology uh, they, they changes wherever you go. You know, wherever country you go to, the terminology to identify certain classifications of jinn changes and mm-hmm. the words different words could respond to different types of jinn but you know the, the the basic belief from the original belief is that what we would translate as different colored jinn belonging to different powers and mm-hmm. different jinn who belong to different clans now Debbie said something interesting about it would not give its name this is true if mm-hmm. a jinn is doing something that it's not supposed to be doing if you get its name, it's afraid that it's going to be reported to its clan leader, and he might be punished. 
So some of the jinn that are actually here um, are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. Uh, it's not like all one mentality and one purpose, although there are units or clans that are working together for definite purposes in this world. Some of them are renegades, but they still belong in allegiance to a clan leader, usually a blue jinn, and um, they're afraid of giving their names because they might be discovered. But getting mm-hmm. back to the thing, the idea of the different color jinn, you see, it corresponded to different levels of power that the jinn had. Um, so in the Arabic and in the ancient Persian beliefs, they identified this with the colors of the jinn's skin, whereas really they were trying to originally identify the the class that the jinn belongs to. The um, um, the blue jinn could be considered as very old, very powerful um, leaders. Um, someone, people, jinn that are very, very involved and in, in, in have extent knowledge. The yellow jinn are just under them. They're like middle-aged and very powerful. And green gin are the youngsters or those adults also that really didn't progress too much in their understanding of how to, you know, use gin power. Now, red gin are renegades. They could be blue gin once and they could be yellow gin. Even some green gin, the lesser ones, serve them because they're under slavery. They're controlled. It's like terrorism. Terrorists take certain groups of people and control them. So, and the other things like Afrit, Ifrit, Marid, and all of this stuff here, that they go, these are all different names that are given in, in different countries, but many of them mean um, the same thing. So when you're talking about names like that from many different different Arabic countries and some from the old Persian countries, it gets very confusing as to what name is corresponding to what type of jinn. Now... Unfortunately, we we have a two minute warning on time, so uh, I thought we better get uh, you know the information out there. Uh, if people want to you know purchase your book or order it, uh, what the best place to order it from, uh, and any other contact information the two of you want to put out there. We've established a new website, JinUniverse.com, D J I N N Universe.com, and you can get the book on the site, autographed by both of us. And we also set up the site as an educational resource uh, to um, post comments. We're collecting stories that we would like to publish. It's got reviews, media, uh, and a brilliant trailer that uh, you, Marcus, did the narration for. Uh, we're very grateful for that. Uh, but we want, to, we want to bring information about the gin, especially to the Western audience, because uh, we're the ones kind of in the dark about them, and we'd like to get dialogue going. We especially want people who are paranormal researchers and investigators to start um, factoring the gin into their equations about what we're dealing with in various situations. Okay, and and Phil, did you have any, you know, closing statement or comment you want to make? No, you know, the book is just about available everywhere. I mean, you know, it's it's in all the bookstores, it's on Amazon. Yeah, but they, but if you they want get autographed copies. You go to yeah, Universe. That's course. what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. You get autograph copy if you uh, get it from the website. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll even write something. You know, something something 
interesting. Cool. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a bunch of Rosemary books, but none of them are autographed. Yeah, we have to send this back to you guys. You can, we can make the rounds between the two of you. Right. Hmm. You'll get all my oh. notes on this on the side margins and, and the book already. Oh God. <laughs> well, we've gotten some very favorable feedback uh, to the book. Uh, a lot of people are interested and intrigued. They didn't know much about the gin. Uh, it's an eye opener to a lot of people, and that's simply because they they haven't been on our radar. Uh, they're there. They've been. They've always been there, and uh, we're just making them visible. Well, this has been a great interview, and I appreciate the two of you taking time to come on the show, and and to you, Debbie, also for for calling in. We we appreciate that. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. And and Tracy, again, I I thank you for co-hosting this with me. Hey, no problem. Uh, but we we appreciate we appreciate the the two of you coming on, and we look forward to uh, possibly doing more in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much, Marcus and Tracy. It was a pleasure being with you this evening. Thank, thank you. you. Thank okay, you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a great night. All right. We'll talk to you later. And that was Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Philip Brogno talking about their new release, The Vengeful Gin. You can get this book uh, from their website, www.jinuniverse.com. That's D-J-I-N-N-Universe.com. I also produced an audio trailer for their book release, and I'm going to close this show out with that trailer. Thank you for listening. This is Marcus Leder, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on the Jackalope Media Network. If you fear one thing in your life, fear the Jinn. An ancient Arabian legend says that God made humans from mud and clay, angels from light, and the Jinn from smokeless fire. In the Western world, many people readily accept the idea of angels and demons, but most have no knowledge of the jinn, called God's other people. According to legend, the jinn were the first inhabitants of this world, where they lived for thousands of years before humanity arrived. In order to make room for humans, angels took the jinn out of this world and placed them in a dimension that parallels our own. There they stay hidden from our view. They have the ability to see and interact with us, but we have difficulty seeing them. They are cloaked in mystery, and it suits their covert purpose. The goal of most jinn is to retake this world which they feel rightfully belongs to them. In order to succeed, they must first make humanity give up stewardship of this reality. They are accomplishing this by stealth and disguise. They have great powers and plenty of time, for they live for centuries. Shapeshifting Jen may be responsible for many forms of paranormal phenomenon and experience, such as UFOs, shadow people, ghosts, poltergeists, and demonic possession. 
in such ways they gain access to us that enables them to steal our life force and information about us and to manipulate and use us without revealing their true form and purpose. These negative experiences are on the rise. In their new book, The Vengeful Gen, authors Philip J. Imbrogno and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, two of the leading experts on the paranormal, present the findings of their in-depth investigation of the gen, who they are, what they're doing, and how can they be countered. Rosemary and Phil have established GenUniverse.com as an educational website about these mysterious and powerful beings. To learn more about the gen and their actions in our world, be sure to order your copy of their groundbreaking and revealing book, The Vengeful Gen, on the link provided on the homepage. All copies are autographed by both Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil Imbrogno. So be sure to visit genuniverse.com. That's D-J-I-N-N-Universe.com. The gen may be one of the greatest dangers to ever present itself to the human race. Now their mask is off.